And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And what we're going to see this morning, we're, we're introduced to one of the guys that we saw last week. And so just a quick recap of last week. You remember there was, it was about priorities and, and the church protecting their priorities. And this need came up in the early church and they were taking care of widows. And as the church grew exponentially large, um, the, there was a certain group of widows that weren't cared for. And so complaints arose up and the solution to that was appointing seven men who would then oversee the task of making sure that these widows were cared for. And we were introduced to these men, and, and one of those men is who we're going to spend time on today and next week. His name is Stephen. And as we look at Stephen's life today and next week, it's going to confront us. Just, just like the Bible is supposed to, and as God said it would, the Bible is described as a mirror. That while right now we, we, we see dimly, but when the Bible is held up before us, when we, when we take the truth of what we learn in the Scriptures and we apply it to our lives, it confronts us. It's like looking in the, the mirror and going, oh, I got some smudges, I got a pimple, I got a, a zit there, I got to do something about it. Because that's what the Bible does. It reveals to us who we really are. It reveals to us the things that we deal with. And it holds before us who our God is. And in doing so, calls us to respond. And so this morning, we're going to be confronted with that. We're going to see two different types of people because as Luke is telling us this story about Stephen, he's going to give Stephen to us as an example. Now, he's telling us about a specific event that took place in the history of the church as God, by the power of his spirit, is empowering and enabling the word of God to continue to spread. But he's also showing us Stephen as an example of how believers, how redeemed people, how people who have been bought and purchased and made alive by Christ, how they should live and operate. And so we're going to see two categories of people this morning. Redeemed people, those people who have been uh, saved by Christ, whose lives have been made new, who have been given the Spirit of God dwelling within them. And then religious people is, is how I'm going to describe them. And, and here's what I mean by religious people. People who are going through motions... People who are, maybe they're attending church, they're attending religious services, they have a set of religious beliefs that they uphold, but those religious beliefs are simply empty. They're just external. They don't do anything to, to bring a person before God and, and earn acceptance. They can't be done. And so we're going to see redeemed people and religious people and how they each respond. And the question I hope that you'll be asking this morning in the back of your head is, where do I fit in in that? What, what more characterizes me in this? So Acts chapter 6 verse 8 uh, is where we're going to start. Redeemed people operate by the Spirit. That's the first thing we're going to see. Redeemed people operate by the Spirit. Verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So last week we saw that these seven men were set apart and they were set apart to help care for the widows. But then we go into the very next set of verses and we find one of them, Stephen, who's doing far more than just caring for widows. And so pause for a moment because a couple years ago we looked at these verses when we were installing our first set of deacons. And a lot of times we go to these uh, Acts chapter 6 verse 1 through 7 as a place where we see an example of the first set of deacons. Now, they're not called deacons in those verses. Um, they're never called deacons in those verses. But what we see in those verses is that they, they are the precursor 
to what the deacon ministry developed into in the church. A, a group of people who are serving and who are being the arms of the church so that the elders of the church who are tasked with primarily preaching the word, studying the word, praying for the flock, shepherding the flock, they can be freed up to keep that as their priority while the necessary ministries of the church and the care of the church continues to happen. And so we see these seven guys and we say those are the precursors to the deacons. They, they surely function like what the New Testament deacons look like. And sometimes churches, when they, when they install deacons, deacons are the people that they say, will you take care of my facilities? Will you take care of our grass and our lawn? Will you fix this when this is broken? And deacons are, are just relegated down to, you know, handymen or women and fix it. And let's just handle the nutty, nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty stuff. And yet here with Stephen and then in a couple weeks, Philip, we're going to see these guys... They were not just guys who go and fix things and who were relegated to, to, to cheap labor. That, that wasn't the case. These guys did far more. They operated in their gifting. They operated in their skills. In fact, what we see this morning is Stephen, while, while still carrying out the necessary ministry of caring for the widows and being a part of overseeing that, that did not stop him from operating by the Spirit and where the Spirit led. And we've got deacons here at the church, by the way, yeah, you're going to see them serving in lots of different places. But these men, these men are gifted. These eight men that we have currently, they're gifted. They're skilled. They, they've got uh, uh, things that God has done in their lives that far enable them to do far more than what a lot of times you're going to be, be seeing them do. And you will see them over time. Maybe you'll be in a spot where you're going to be on the receiving end of, of what God's doing through them and you're going to be part of what, what God's doing. But I want you to know that when we consider our deacons and we pick, picked out these, these men that we currently have, we weren't looking at guys to just say, fix our facilities, mow our grass, take care of our, our parking lot. We're looking for guys who, who exemplify the, the characteristics that are laid out in the scriptures of people of character who are people who, are in, who can be entrusted with leadership and care for the flock, who, people who can help, who can help uh, care for the people that God is bringing to Easton Church. And those are the type of, of men we currently have serving in those roles. And Stephen goes far beyond just what he was selected for. And God is using Stephen. So we see he's full of grace and power. And he's performing great miracles and wondrous signs. Now, this is the first time in the book of Acts, the first time that someone who is not an apostle is doing signs, wonders, and miracles. You see, sometimes people say signs, wonders, and miracles were only done by the apostles. Not true. Not true. Here you've got Stephen who is doing signs, wonders. It's the same type of language, the same description, the same stuff that Peter and James were doing, the same stuff that they continued on that they saw Jesus do. Stephen's doing some of that same stuff. God is working through him in the same way that he was working through the apostles, the same way that we saw Jesus work. He is the first one in the book of Acts that we see as the, the word of God is starting to spread. We also see that it spreads not just through a select few people. Not just through the professionals, so to speak. Not just through those who are in leadership positions. The Word of God spreads. And it spreads through ordinary, everyday people. Because when Stephen was picked, he wasn't, he wasn't already in some kind of leadership role. They just said, find a man, find seven men who are of good reputation, who are full of the Spirit, who are full of grace. And let's set them aside. Everyday men. Like every one of you, God can use you, wants to use you to continue to, by the power of His Spirit, spread the Word of God. 
And that looks different for every single one of you. That's going to be in, in different locations. It's going to be in different types of relationships. And you might find yourself this morning saying, no, not me. I, I need more training. You know what? We are overtrained in this country as Christians. We are more trained now. You that are sitting in this seat, the majority of you are more trained now than the people in the Bible. Because in the book of Acts, the majority of the people, excepting the apostles who walked with Jesus, they didn't have a Bible that they could bring home, that they could study every day. They didn't do quiet times. They didn't have that. They didn't have a, a, a devotion book that they could use to kind of get a, a, a snack in the middle of the day on the Word of God. They didn't have that. The scriptures were read on Saturdays at synagogues or when they gathered as the, uh, in house churches, and then they would remember some of that and they would live that. You are far more equipped than anyone in these scriptures. But here's more important. The same spirit that you see working in these, in these verses as we look at them and in these people is the same spirit that God has given you. He has not changed. He has not stopped doing what He's doing. You have everything you need in Christ by the power of the Spirit to be a part of what God is doing as He spreads the Word of God. Amen. question is, are you open? Are you open? Stephen was open. And he was operating by the Spirit, doing full of grace and full of power. Now, I want to I spend a few minutes on that language because if you go back to verse 5 in Acts, last week we, we saw the way that Stephen was described. The proposal pleased the entire group, so the seven were, were picked out. They chose Stephen. And here's what, what Luke tells us about Stephen. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And here in verse 8, he's full of grace and of power. That's quite a description. I mean, I, I hope, I hope that I can be characterized by that at some point. At some point in my life. I hope people would say of me, he's, he's full of grace and of power. Or he is full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. But what does it take to be described like that? Could you be described like that? You see, here's what, here's what Luke is doing when he describes people. And Luke uses this phrase, full of, quite a bit in the book of Acts. And he describes people as being full of certain things. Sometimes it's negative things, sometimes it's positive things. And here's what we find out. When Luke says someone is full of something, he's saying that what's on the inside of them, what's at their core, is characterizing them on the outside. It's coming out. They're full of this. And so if someone in Luke's writings are characterized by something negative, they're full of hate or they're full of anger or full of envy, what he's saying is that's what's on the inside of them. That's what's in their core. That's part of their nature. And it's coming out as they live their lives. It's characterizing them. And so when he says you're full of the Spirit... He's full of the Spirit. He's full of faith. Or back in verse 8, he's full of grace and he's full of power. What he's saying is, at the very nature of Stephen, the very core, who he is on the inside is different. And it's coming out. What's on the inside of him is manifesting itself on the outside of him. And you know what's on the inside of him? The Holy Spirit. He's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen is living a life where the Holy Spirit that God has indwelled in every believer. You remember in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost came and the, the, the uh, Spirit fell on the 120 that were in the room and there were tongues of fire over their head and they were speaking in different languages? That was the Spirit coming in a unique way and a unique ministry that had not yet taken place before. We talked about baptism. We talked about filling. We're going to talk about that too again this morning in a minute. That's what Stephen is operating in, that power. The power of that spirit. He's letting that which is on the inside of him manifest itself on the outside. He's operating in dependence upon 
the Spirit. And so he's characterized by that. He's a man full of faith. Because when the Spirit is inside of you and He's manifesting Himself, one of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. You ever had a time where, where you can't explain it, but you were in a rough spot, you were in a tough situation, stress was on you, pressure was on you, and there was just something about in that moment where you thought, but this is going to be okay, we're going to get through this because my God is good and my God is great and my God is able. Something along those lines where normally you would have been freaking out. We would have been panicking. You would have been, you would have been having trouble breathing and heart palpitations would have, been, would have been kicking in. But in that moment, you just had this sense of, no, we're going to press on through this and we're going to trust God in this. That's faith. That's, that's a supernatural gift of the Spirit coming out of you as He's working through you. That is God giving you by His grace. Faith. In that moment, faith that you lacked on your own, faith that you cannot muster up, you cannot make a decision to switch, uh, flip a switch and have that kind of faith. That is the work of the Spirit in a person who is redeemed. He's full of faith. He's full of power, which is, a, is an indication of, of the power that's coming out of him, the power of the Spirit that's, that's taking place through the signs and the wonders and the miracles. He's full of grace. That favor of God, that blessing of God, that's undeserved. That, that we can't earn, but God freely gives. And He gives it. And it's not just grace that saves us. It's grace that sustains us. It's grace that empowers us to live. You know, grace is not just something that we leave behind at the cross and we experience that salvation. Grace is something we need every day and that God pours out and extends to us every day. And when you and I are shaped and changed and when you and I live in operation on the Spirit and dependence on the Spirit, that's because God's grace is enabling us to do that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I am who I am by the grace of of God. Stephen is a man whose nature on the inside has been changed. He, he's no longer a person who's spiritually dead on the inside. He's no longer a person who's a corpse, spiritually speaking. He has been resurrected. He has been given new life. What was once dead inside of him has been made alive when, when Christ has come and taken hold of his heart and he's believed in Christ, his death and his resurrection. He has been made new. And God gives him the Spirit. And, and Stephen is operating in the power of that Spirit. Now, Stephen's description here is not characteristic of all believers, is it? It's not characteristic of everyone who would claim to be redeemed, is it? It's not. And so here, here's what you need to know about, about Stephen. What you see happening with Stephen here is a filling of the Spirit. He is being empowered by God's Spirit. He's being filled by God's Spirit to accomplish what God wants him to accomplish. And as we've talked about before, you have the baptism of the Spirit, which is a one-time thing that takes place, that connects you, joins you to Christ. It's what, what, what enables us to be able to speak of our relationship to Christ as being in Christ, or part of the body of Christ. God baptizes us. He connects us, identifies us with Christ. That happens at the moment you are converted, the moment your heart is changed, the moment the Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of you, you're baptized. And it may or may not come with exceptional experiential experiences. But the filling of the Spirit is different. 
The filling of the Spirit is something that's available continuously. The filling of the Spirit is something that is available to all redeemed people, all who have the Spirit. And it's something that over time, as you surrender your life to the Spirit, you depend upon the Spirit. And as God gives His grace, sometimes He's going to fill you with His Spirit so that you're empowered and enabled to do things that you can't do on your own, that you can't do in your own power. He Sometimes He's going to empower and enable you to do things that are, are part of what He wants accomplished according to His plan. And He'll do that. And sometimes it's accompanied by by exceptional things, sometimes by sensational things, sometimes by experiential things that you might feel, you might see. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes the filling of the Spirit takes place in the everyday life of being a parent, being a husband, being a wife, going to your job day in and day out. Sometimes God fills you with His Spirit as you remain surrendered and open and dependent upon what He's doing instead of rushing ahead, instead of just trudging through your day. Sometimes He'll fill you with His Spirit to enable you to love your kids and parent them in a moment that's beyond your wisdom. Sometimes He'll fill you with His Spirit in the midst of something so you'll have a unique insight into your kid's heart in that moment where as one, in one moment you wanted to yell at them and send them to the room. In, the, in that moment that God fills you with His Spirit, He gives you wisdom. An insight into that kid's heart to, to know now's a time to extend grace and to point them toward the Lord in this way. Sometimes the spirit filling happens in that way. Or it's in the everyday going to your work and doing your job with integrity and getting the job done to the best of your ability even when everyone else around you is being lazy or not getting it done. Sometimes it's the filling of the Spirit that enables you to do that. And it doesn't come with experiential, exceptional signs in those moments. We can't live our lives looking for the sensational, but we also can't assume that that's not going to happen. We've got to be open to what God wants to do. And a truly open heart is going to say, God, use me. Do what you want through me today, regardless of my comfort level, regardless of how I'm feeling, regardless of my ability. God, you work through me. Let your will be done, not mine. Stephen's being filled by the Spirit. He's being empowered and enabled to accomplish what God is setting him out to accomplish. And we're going to see here in just a minute, yeah, he did signs and wonders and miraculous things, but what we're going to get more detail on is not something sensational. It's not something where people are being healed. It's not something where, where he's, he's doing something supernatural that goes against natural laws. That's what, what a miracle would be. He's not doing that kind of stuff. He's engaged in a conversation. He is defending and standing firm on the faith and proclaiming the word of God and he has an exceptional, supernatural amount of wisdom. That would be pretty boring in most people's estimation. But that's what God is showing up in this case. But, redeemed people operate by the Spirit. I think a lot of us, a lot of Christians, especially, again, I'm going to harp on American Christianity and Western Christianity uh, where, where we're more affluent, where we have more comfort, where we have more at our fingertips. We are content to live inconsequential lives. Amen. And it doesn't bother us one bit. We, we go through our lives and, we, and we're, we're not bothered at all that we may not see God working, we may not see God doing things. We, we are more concerned about our comfort. We're more concerned about our way of life. We're more concerned about making sure that our plan for our life stays on track. And we're not bothered by the fact that our lives are making no difference. Nobody's being changed. Nobody's being impacted. We're not investing in anyone's life. 
to point them toward Christ. We're not helping anyone to follow Jesus better. We're not helping anyone to live their lives better. We're just going through our life, enjoying the comfort, enjoying the good things. And listen, that's not to say that it's bad to enjoy good things. God gives us good things to enjoy. Absolutely. Don't go and sell all your stuff. I'm saying those things will lull us to sleep if we let them. They become idols for us. And the pursuit of comfort and the pursuit of of security, the pursuit of whatever it is we're chasing, oftentimes becomes what drives us and we live lives that make no difference. They have no consequence in this world. And there's going to be a day when many Christians are going to be lying in those last few moments and they're going to be thinking back on their life and they're going to be thinking, man, I accomplished this, that was good. I I changed that business, that was good. I, I, I had that accomplishment, that was good. And man, my family didn't go completely crazy, so that's good. But yet, when they really start to think about it, they're going to think, man, but did I really do anything that transcends me? Did I really do anything that has consequences that go beyond me? I think many redeemed people who have the Spirit, who have been made alive, who have been given everything that we need, everything that we need, every spiritual blessing has been given to you in Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. That's what Paul says in the start of the book of Ephesians. Every spiritual blessing has been given to you. You have everything you need to accomplish and do what God wants to accomplish and do through you. And yet many times we just say, I'm not equipped I'm not trained. I'm not comfortable doing that. And we live lives of inconsequence. Maybe in the name of Christ, maybe in the name of God, but never depending upon the Spirit. Sometimes we need to slow down. Busyness is the enemy of spirituality. I'm not saying you can't do a lot of stuff. Busyness is the enemy of spirituality. A lot of people busy, busy in the name of Christ, going nowhere. A lot of people busy doing things in the name of Jesus and yet making no investment, no impact in someone else's life. Not helping someone follow Jesus better. Not pointing them to the Lord. Just being busy for the church. Stamping Jesus' name on it. And they're going to get to a spot where they're going to burn out. They're going to get to a spot where they're going to say, does this really matter? Does this really make a difference? Should I be feeling this way about that? In consequence. And yet God has given you everything that you need. He's given us everything that we need. You don't need, you don't need formal training. You don't need to go to school for three years, five years, six years, study the Bible. You have the Bible. You, you, you have the Word of God, the very Word of God that is being spread in the book that we're looking at now. You have the completed Word of God. People have died for. People have fought for. People have, have stood their ground and lost family members for and they've been disowned for. And in it, God reveals who He is. And in it, God teaches us how we are to live and who we are. You have everything you need. And you've got the Spirit who empowers and enables the spread of the Word of God. Redeemed people operate by the Spirit. However, religious people oppose the Spirit. And that's what we see taking place in the rest of these verses. Verse 9, 
But some men from the synagogue of the freedman, as it was called, both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, as well as some from Cilicia and the province of Asia, stood up and argued with Stephen. So this is the the bulk of the story this morning. Stephen's in the midst of an argument. He's in the midst of of defending the faith. He's been proclaiming the the, the word of God. Remember we talked about when, when miracles take place, when supernatural things take place, they're not to glorify the person. They're to glorify the the person behind the person. They're to glorify Jesus and they're to glorify the word of Jesus. And so as Stephen was doing these miracles, he's proclaiming that word. We can assume that safely because we've seen that pattern already. When miracles take place, God's using them to draw people to his word, to build an audience, or he's using them to authenticate a message. He's using them to glorify Jesus. That's what Stephen was doing. And so as part of that, he wasn't just walking through a town going healed, healed, sickness, healed, blind, see. He wasn't doing that kind of stuff without proclaiming the word of God. We can assume safely he was proclaiming the word of God. And as these things were taking place, he was pointing people to Christ. And so people argue with with him. They didn't like what he was teaching. Verse 10, yet they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. That's how the spirit in this moment was manifesting himself in Stephen's life. Wisdom. Wisdom beyond his ability. Wisdom so that they could not overcome his argument. Wisdom so that the words that he was saying and the message that he was communicating, they couldn't really argue it against it. They had nothing in Luke chapter 12, verse 11 through 12, Jesus said this to his, uh, his disciples, his followers, but when they bring you before the synagogues, where's Stephen right now? He's arguing with people in the synagogue, yep. The rulers and the authorities do not worry about how you should make your defense or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that moment what you must say. Isn't that neat? That what Jesus said would happen is actually happening in the book of Acts. That Jesus' ministry on earth, even though he's no longer here on earth, is continuing through the power of the Spirit. Just like he said it would. Stephen's being given the words to say. And he's being given those words by the Spirit. And they can't overcome that. They can't can't argue against that. Again, and and, and then verse 11 back in Acts. Then they secretly instigated some of the men to say, We have heard this man speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They incited the people, the elders, and the experts in the law. Then they approached Stephen, seized him, and brought him before the council. So now he's being brought before the Sanhedrin, the same type of council that Jesus has brought before. He's in these arguments. And again, Jesus' words, uh, we'll we'll turn that in just a minute. Uh, Let's keep reading verse 13. They brought forward false witnesses who said, This man does not not stop saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him saying that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the council looked intently at Stephen and saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now now look at these words in Luke 21. As you've now seen that Stephen's being brought before the council. For I will give you the words along with the wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Again, what Jesus said he would do, he's doing. And it's taken place here in the life of Stephen. So back now uh, in, our, in our verses, verse 9, look at our verse 10. They were not able to resist the wisdom. You know, sometimes the Spirit manifests himself in our life in ways that are not sensational. And if you aren't looking for it, you'll miss it. But if you're in the midst of it and you're the one operating by the Spirit and you realize, man, the word's coming out of my mouth right now, that's beyond me. There's no way. You know, by, by God's grace, I have been in positions 
where I've been given a lot of responsibility at a very young age. And I've been entrusted with people and, and supervisory roles here, elsewhere, and, and I have had to, to lead in ways that are far beyond my ability. Like right now. I'm in way over my head. I have no clue what to do next with all that God is doing and all that's going on. I'm way over my head. It's true. I feel like that. I felt like that for the last four years, at least, that I'm aware of. And yet, in His grace, what I take comfort in, especially when I'm leading people like at the college where I had nine people that I was, I was their supervisor and every one of them were older than me, some of them my parents' age. How do you lead? How do you, how do you supervise in that role without being insecure, without, without shying back? How do, you, how do you have hard conversations with people who are older than you, who have more life experience than you, who have worked longer than you've ever been alive. How do you do that? I've always taken comfort in the fact that God, the same spirit that you've caused to dwell in me is the same spirit that has existed from all eternity. And so the wisdom that I lack, God, impart that to me by your wisdom. And that's how wisdom can come through a person who is far out of their league, who, who is far beyond their ability. That's how wisdom can manifest itself in a person's life. Because it's not me in all of my 34 years of wisdom. I can't lead with 34 years of wisdom. But when the Spirit, who has existed from all eternity, is manifesting himself in those ways, that's how someone like Stephen can be in the position he's in, untrained, arguing with people who are trained, and yet they can't overcome his wisdom. That's how the men that Jesus picked who were fishermen, uneducated, can go and do the things they do and, and withstand the people that are arguing with them. It's far beyond their ability. God takes people who are unable and he makes them able by the power of his spirit. We have no room to boast. I have no room to boast. If anything good happens, if, if God does anything through me or through you, it's by His grace, by the power of His Spirit. And that's why Stephen's able to do that. We go on and, and we see when, in verse 11, actually ver verse 12, they approached Stephen, seized him, brought him before the council. Verse 13, here's what they start to do. They can't overcome his wisdom, so they start making up things. They, they can't overcome them, so they resort to, we've got to silence them, so now we're just going to lie. This man does not stop saying things against this holy place, what the temple likely is what they're, what they're referring to, and the law. What law? The Old Testament law, the law of Moses. See, these people, good Jews, they were upholding the temple and they're upholding the law of Moses. For we have heard him saying that Jesus the Nazarene will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Now, is that a lie? I mean, is that completely untrue? You see, I seem to recall Jesus saying something very similar and, and, and he said it here in John chapter 2, verse 19. Look what Jesus said. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. Then the Jewish leaders said to him, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and are you going to raise it up in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. And so back in, in Acts here, they bring him and they say, hey, we've heard him say that, that the Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and change the custom of Moses down to us. Not entirely untrue, is it? Stephen may have been taking the same message that Jesus said and proclaiming the same thing that Jesus said when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll build it up again. But see, they're, they're misunderstanding. They're misrepresenting what Jesus said. And then even in Jesus' day, they misunderstood what he was saying because he was pointing to his body. 
He was saying, look, look, you can destroy me, you can kill me, you can murder me, and in three days I'm coming back, baby. I'm getting up. Right? He, he's not going to stay dead. But listen, he wasn't just referring to the fact that he was going to die and rise again. No, no, that, that, that's good in and of itself. That, that's a lot. That's great. No, no. But what he was saying was destroy this temple. And yeah, behind him, there may have been a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek. My body, but also that building. Because in three days, I will rebuild it. In other words, it becomes obsolete because I become primary. In other words, all that the temple had, all that the temple was, was designed and intended to be a shadow. Temporary. To point us to Christ, in whom all the things in the temple are fulfilled. Jesus saying, you know, destroy this body right here, and in three days I will rebuild it. That temple becomes obsolete. And so when, when the message is, is being taught about Jesus, is, is, there's no longer a need for you to go gather at the temple. There's no longer a need for you to offer sacrifices. They're threatened. They're threatened because he's saying they're, they're going to destroy this temple, this place, and you're going to change the, the laws of Moses. And yes, yeah, that, that is going to happen. The temple's obsolete, no longer needed for worship. Jesus now is the temple. He is the one who all things are fulfilled in. You worship him. You no longer gather at a place to worship. Wherever you are, because the spirit of Christ lives in you, you are that temple extended. And now the, the law of Moses where you're coming to make sacrifice, no longer needed. It's fulfilled in Christ. He was the sacrifice, is the sacrifice, will always be the sacrifice. There's no need to continue to live your life in submission to these laws. So yeah, they're proclaiming a message that's going to change things. But listen, religious people, religious people are threatened when their sacred practices and their sacred places are threatened. That's where they're at. You're going you're to take away our sacred practices, these traditions that we've always done, the things that we've always done, the way we've always lived our life. You're going to take those away and change them? That threatens me because that's how I, how I gauge my spirituality. That's how I gauge my maturity. That's how I let you know how spiritual I am. You're going to take away my sacred practices, my habits? You, you mean you're going to tell me that those habits, they don't matter? Like it, it, it's, it's, it's not about me following some kind of ritual? You're going to take that from me? What else do I have to live on then? How do, I, how do I know how good I'm doing? Because religious people always want to know, how good am I doing? How am I measuring up? Am I hitting the standard? And they never do. But they create their standards, which actually lowers the standard of God so that they can raise and elevate themselves above others. Religious people are threatened when their sacred practices and their sacred places. You, you mean we, we don't have to gather here? That's where we've always gathered. That's where I have power. In that location, I have power in that sacred space. You're taking that from me? You mean, you mean in Christ Jesus, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile? There's neither male nor female? That everyone, no slave nor free? Everybody's on the same level in Christ? Yep. Doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your church upbringing was. Doesn't matter what you've done in your life. In Christ, the playing field is leveled. Everyone, by the grace of Christ, some more than others, but it's still grace. You're going to take away my sacred space, that place where I gather, and you're going to tell me that that doesn't matter. It's not about the building. Look, many a Christians, many a church people have been led astray by beautiful buildings and have given their lives to beautiful buildings. Buildings with steeples, buildings with stained glass and beautiful structure, and they have stopped there. And that's their reward. 
appreciating the beauty of a man-made building. Many a Christian has been led astray by beautiful buildings, and the building is never the point. Where there's beauty, where there's architecture that is exquisite, where there's steeples, all of that is supposed to and be designed to point us to the one who is of greater beauty. What is a steeple for? A steeple is not just to claim it as a church and say that's how we know a church. A steeple points up for a reason. If that's not why you're putting a steeple on a building and you just want to claim it to be a church, leave the steeple off. It doesn't matter. The whole point of a steeple is to point up because it's supposed to point people up. Stained glass windows, beautiful, beautiful. But when you stop there and the building and the stained glass window becomes what you worship, becomes your pride and becomes your joy, you've missed it. Because the beauty of a stained glass window is supposed to remind us of whatever it's depicting, the story of the Bible or who, whoever, and point us to the one who is greater. All things that are good and beautiful here on earth are never meant to be the end. And yet we far, fall far, far below what God intends for us and we settle for that. And we make idols out of them and we worship them and we never get to the point where it points us to the one who's far greater and far more beautiful. That's sad. But that's religious people who oppose the Spirit. And then also religious people, they're threatened when their way of life is challenged and they're more about protecting their way of life instead of, instead of proclaiming the Word of God. It's more about, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I've learned how to live in this comfort. I'm protecting my way of life. Why would I step out and proclaim the Word of God when that's going to put a spotlight on me? Why would I step out and, and proclaim the word of God? Why would I go in and ask God to do something that I don't want to do? If that's you, you should be asking, do I really know God? Do I really have a relationship with God? Do I really have the Spirit? Jeff, you can go and come on up. Redeemed people operate by the Spirit. Religious people oppose the Spirit. Where do you fall in that this morning? And listen, sometimes redeemed people act like religious people. And it shouldn't be that way. Sometimes redeemed people, even though we have the Spirit and we've been made alive, we still wrestle with sin in this life. We are still impacted and affected by sin in this life. And sometimes we give in to that and we let that rule over us when it has no authority. But yet we submit ourselves back underneath it and then we, we become religious people all over again, all while having the Spirit and suppressing Him. And yet as redeemed people, we are called to live in dependence upon the Spirit, operating by the Spirit, open to what God is doing through the Spirit. And so I'd, I'll leave you with this this morning. Two questions and then Jeff will sing over us as we contemplate and reflect. One, what's one thing this week? One area of my life this week that I can go to God and say, God, help me to operate by the Spirit in this area. And maybe you need to ask God to show you first what, what areas He wants. But what's one area this week where I need to go before God and say, God, I need to operate more by the Spirit here. I need to depend more on you in this area. I need to surrender this to you this morning. For some of you this morning, that may be God telling you, well, the, the area you need to surrender is your life. You, you need to first trust in Christ this morning. You, you, need to, you need to be a part of my family. You've been resisting and opposing for so long, all the while attending church, all the while doing all these religious things, and yet you're opposing my spirit. Let's instead let him in. 
and that's what God makes available to us because when Christ came, He lived a life that we can't live. He did it in our place and He died a death that we deserve, but He took it for us and He rose from the dead. And God never intends His people to try to earn their way into His acceptance. Instead, He paved the way through Christ. And so this morning, you trust in Christ, God brings you into His family. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what you can do. It's about what God has done through Christ. And He's shown you that love by doing that on your behalf. So some of you this morning, that, that's going to be trusting in Christ. Others of you this morning, uh, maybe it's a certain area in your life that you've just been living in opposition to the Spirit. You've been holding on to it and you, you've got some religious uh, nature there that, that, that's rubbing up against it. And then the other question is this. What's one way, one way this week that I can help someone else better follow Jesus? By depending on the Spirit. Well, what, is, what is one way this week, who, who is that one person this week that I can help them follow Jesus better by pointing them to depend upon the Spirit? Is it a kid? Is it a spouse? Coworker? Student? Classmate? One person that I can help follow Jesus better. So let's go before the Lord with that. Speak to me time may your thoughts become mine open my eyes so I can see all that really matters to me please Jesus speak to me moment let your heart speak to mine please remove all the distractions that cloud my human mind and speak to me in this time may your thoughts become mine open my eyes so I can see all that really matters to me. Please, Jesus, speak to me. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss. And if you would like prayer about something, if you would like to, to pray about something specific, we're going to have people available spread across the room that they're there to pray with you. So just come up to them and let them know this is what I like to pray about. Maybe you have questions about the gospel, what it means to trust in Christ. They're, they're available to visit with you about that as well. And so here in just a minute, if you're part of the prayer team, I'm going to dismiss this in prayer. And while I'm praying, feel free to start making your way to wherever um, you're going to be in the room. And so, Father, we thank you for the grace that you've given us to, through Christ and God that you're not done with us yet and that you've given us everything that we need in Christ Jesus and the Spirit of God lives inside of us. God, thank you for giving us your Spirit. Now let us be people who are characterized and full of your Spirit. Because, because, not because we get more of the Spirit, but because He has more of us. So God, show us those areas where we need to surrender to you, where we've been holding on, and then set us free. And then God, help us to point others toward you, to help them to follow you better. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. With that, see you next week.